This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Here's the song that we'd like to do for all the younger set of people, the teenagers and what have you. This one's called Vacation Zone. From Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're back with a bang because check this out we're talking to speaker, consultant, and New York Times bestselling author Andy Andrews. Want better answers in your life? Andy will show you how to get them. In our headline segment, we welcome Christine Benz, the Director of Personal Finance at Morningstar, to help us get our retirement plans rolling. And that's not all. Joe and OG will give all their two cents on millennials and the retirement crisis. Wait, isn't it a millennial latte crisis or like an avocado toast crisis? Huh. Oh, maybe both. We'll also throw out the Haven Lifeline to Bill, who has some questions on what he should do with his life insurance policy and still save time for my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who are definitely too old to be the face of the retirement crisis, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. I think the retirement crisis is that OG feels like he's not retiring right now. Actually, somebody the other day asked me, what's your time frame? Now, you've been doing this 20 years, so... And I said, oh, that's a good question. It's coming. What is what is your thought on that? Uh, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. That's my thought. That's, I've, I've gone on record as saying that if I can be here with an oxygen take, talking about money... <laughs> when I'm... <laughs> This is so awesome. Let me tell you, let me interview another person. It, it might be fun for nobody but me yeah. at that point, but man. You're like in the home and they're like, sure, Papa. Yeah, no, these are going on the internet just like they always have. It's fantastic. Yeah. No, really. You don't need to check. Great show today. Andy Andrews coming down to the basement. How about that? I love Andy Andrews. Just amazing speaker guy who the defense department uh gets his opinion on things we we've got him upstairs talking to mom right now what a charming guy that's fantastic you know what else is fantastic it's fantastic knowing that your money's doing everything it should be doing and with interest rates lower that you've refinanced your debt so you're paying less money the man what am i talking about thanks to magnify money for sponsoring today's show 
Magnify Money is the place where you find more of the best rates, whether it's checking or savings accounts that are better or better credit cards, student loan refinance options, mortgage comparison. It's all there. Plus some really handy calculators. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. We're also brought to you by Acre Trader. Thanks to Acre Trader for supporting Stacky Benjamins. For more information on how to become a farmland investor through Acre Trader, visit acretrader.com forward slash SB. We got a great show today. Andy Andrews kicking off this eight weeks of shows. Great to be back from the Canadian Rockies and Glacier. Thanks to everybody for hanging out with me there. We had we had so much fun, OG. It was such a great time. But we got a show to do, so let's get this thing started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Market Watch. This is written by Mark Hulbert, one of my favorite uh, opinion writers in the world of money. And I wanted to Bring this to your attention, OG. Mark writes, millennials are the new face of the retirement crisis. We think about the retirement crisis right now. We're thinking about baby boomers, right? Not Mark. Mark says, okay, baby boomers, it is what it is. Listen to this. He says, you think you're facing a retirement finance crisis? Consider the millennial generation, those born between 81 and 96, starting this year, they became the largest living generation in the U.S. Compared with their dismal retirement finance prospects, those currently in or close to retirement would seem to be living on easy street. So so let's stop. We hear about how these people going into retirement OG have not enough money. He's saying millennials have it worse. At least that's the depressing conclusion I draw from recent research into the situation millennials will likely face when they begin to retire around 2050. This research, which began circulating on the Social Security Research Network in early July, is entitled, How Will Retirement Saving Change by 2050? Prospects for the Millennial Generation. Its authors are William Gale, a senior fellow in the Economic Studies Program at the Brookings Institution, Hilary Gelfond, a graduate student at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard, and Jason Fickner, a senior lecturer at the School of Advanced International Studies at Johns Hopkins University. The researchers first focus on the advantages millennials have as they save and invest for their retirement relative to previous generations. Then they enumerate their relative disadvantages, and it's no contest. The list of those disadvantages is far longer. This really leads me in. I'm like, I can see a bunch of advantages millennials have, but what the heck's a disadvantage? Oh, wait, there's more. When it comes to the advantages, the researchers could come with just one. Millennials as a group are more educated than any previous generation, which should translate into significantly greater earnings potential. I actually thought of a different one. And that was, I think some of the tools available are easier. Like some of these roundups uh, that you get with even now your banking app does roundups automatically, not just things like Acorns or Rise or Capital or any of the bajillion apps out there that help people save. And being able to save on your phone, you know, very quickly, the fact that working with your financial advisor now is electronic, you can work with anybody, no matter where they are. I mean, with a few exceptions, I think those are advantages too. They don't list those. I wonder if being a little bit more disconnected from your money has an impact though. You and I grew up just slightly before this, right? And we've kind of used 
both sides of the equation and and certainly having an appreciation for money and your income and that sort of thing makes though using those other tools easier to do but you remember like actually writing checks and and writing it down in your checkbook and every month getting your canceled checks back in the mail and then you'd go through them and balance your checkbook you know what i mean like you had a really tight relationship with your with your day-to-day cash flow and your money and you could see every day even with credit cards you didn't have the limits and that sort of stuff that banks throw around nowadays so yeah you you could go into credit card debt as a 25 year old but it was more like two thousand dollars of credit card debt not forty thousand dollars of credit card debt but just kind of that day-to-day management you you know you kind of had your hands in it whereas now it's you know since it's all buttons you don't really you know you don't feel it as much i wonder i wonder if that has an impact yeah i wonder you're saying that it might help you screw up your money as easily too. So even though you yeah, have that, the tools, yeah, that's what I mean. I think it's, yeah. I think it's, you know, well, remember that it's st- not as tactile, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not as real. Remember that study. I think we brought this up just before the end of our last eight weeks at that po- at the podcast movement round table. But you remember that study we, we featured a couple of years ago that fidelity ran when they looked at their 401k returns from all their participants, people that were dead where the beneficiaries hadn't withdrawn the money had the best returns. Yeah. The perspective of time is really amazing. I mean, I was I was talking to somebody a week ago and I said, oh, goodness, your stock is up a whole bunch. Company stock, right? And the person I was talking to says, no, no, it's it's I mean, it was 85 and now it's 82. So it's actually down a little bit. And I said, oh, the statement I have says 65. So you take that perspective of time just a, a little wider and you lose that little blip, you know. So again, that engagement of seeing everything all the time, I think probably does more damage than good. Can do too much damage. Uh, Researchers point to a second potential advantage for millennials, uh, Halbert says, but in the end, this turns out to be a double-edged sword. Millennials as a group are healthier and thus should be able to work until a more advanced age than previous generations. That in turn should enable them to save and invest more for their retirement. The double-edged sword, though, is that millennials are also likely to live longer than previous generations and thus have to fund a longer retirement. These two effects could very well cancel each other out. That was, I feel like, a recurring theme for us over the summer was longevity, longevity, Mm -hmm. longevity. Now the disadvantages. Note carefully that these are relative disadvantages compared with previous generations. Millennials' careers have gotten off to a rocky start because of the financial crisis and the ensuing slow recovery over the subsequent few years. As a group, therefore, they're not exploiting the full potential, the theoretical advantage afforded them by their greater educational attainment. Very interesting. More education, rocky start. It's a slower uptake. Yeah, which is why I'm glad we're about to talk to Andy Andrews because Andy uh, likes talking about how you have to think differently. OG, your career got off to a rocky start. You can't do things the way everybody before you did them. You can't be like the guru who shows you how to do, you know, X, Y, Z 4% better than they did it. You got to be thinking in bigger chunks to a greater extent. Halbert writes than previous generations, millennials will be employed in quote, contingent jobs, the gig economy, that provide little or no automatic enrollment in or contributions to any retirement program. So more than ever, 
millennials, bigger swath of millennials, will be responsible for their own savings. And as you and I know, people, when they don't have automatic enrollment, they don't save. That's right. Yeah. Third, partly because of these first two disadvantages and also because they have more student debt than prior generations, millennials have lower net worth than previous generations, lower income, longer life, less savings. Millennials are marrying, buying homes, and having children later in life than previous generations. Those life decisions impact retirement savings in a couple ways. One is behavioral. People often feel the need to get settled by purchasing a house and raising children before beginning to think about saving for retirement, the researchers write. So where this looks like an advantage, hey, if I'm not settled down yet, OG, I got to get married and have kids first. Then I'll worry about saving for retirement. I don't have to do that as early. I see that. I see that a lot. Millennials inevitably will feel the financial burden of whatever the government does to make up funding shortfalls facing Social Security and Medicare. So the brunt of it's going to happen with them. Millennials face a future with lower rates of return in economic growth in the past. He has discussed this, Halbert has, in prior columns. He says millennials are going to find it that much more difficult to build up adequate portfolios. Then he talks about income inequality, meaning I think we get back to what John Hope Bryant said, OG. You can look at that when he was on the show where he talks about the memo and some people didn't get the memo about saving where other people did. And he said, just because it seems like the deck stacked against you, which as I read this, I go, man, millennials, you guys got it tough. That's not a reason to give up. That's a reason to fight harder. That's a reason to know that you have to do things differently. You have to get on the button. You have to get moving today because it's going to be more difficult. Well, the initial part of of getting started is always the hardest part anyway. You can't just be the head in the sand, you know, woe is me, I got a late start. It sucks if that's the case, but that makes it even more important to redouble your efforts to get on track. So the good news is that if you do those activities, if you save more aggressively, even though you're taking a later start or whatever the case may be, those habits don't take long to stay formed. And once you start seeing the results of that, when you see the results of saving money and investing money and getting out of debt and that sort of thing at an ever increasing pace, I think you get that positive feedback loop then of, well, I want to do this even more. So maybe it turns out to be a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, because you have to catch up, you're going to make drastic changes and then you're going to see those results and want to keep doing those drastic changes. Man, I hope so. Cause it looks to me like you're going to have to make some drastic changes. Uh, you, you can't just do it to people before you did. And in our second headline, well, guess what? Last week was national 401k day on Friday, September 6th. We missed it, but don't you worry. We're always happy to celebrate belatedly here in the basement and here to help us on my dad's shortwave is Christine Benz, Director of Personal Finance at Morningstar. How are you, Christine? Hi, Joe. It's great to be here. I'm just just fine. Thank you. I know you money geeks at Morningstar. You must, like on National 401k Day, you have a big party, you have cake, you sit around and talk about <laughs> expense ratios. What do you do? That's every day at Morningstar. Right. That's not just a special day for us. Yeah, we're full-time dorks on matters of investing and 401ks and portfolio management. So, yeah. 
no special celebration for 401k day. We're doing this all year long. Just my kind of people. I just, (laughs) any time you want to include us in that party, that'd be great. But let's talk about best practices. We have a lot of new investors that listen to the show, Christine. Somebody's just starting, whether it's a 401k or heck, even if they're Canadian, they're trying to get into their RRSP. Right, right. Well, yeah. What are some best practices for using your retirement plan? Well, one of the first ones, especially for very novice investors, is just to not oversink it. Because today, most 401k plans have pretty good defaults built in. So even if you don't sign up for the plan, oftentimes you'll be automatically enrolled. And you'll also be automatically enrolled typically into what's called a target date fund, which is a fund that's designed to be appropriately invested for someone at your life stage. So target date funds aren't universally good. There are some clunkers out there, but most of the assets do reside in the better target date plans. So even if you're just inert or you just don't have time to allocate your 401k, chances are there are some pretty good defaults. So that's um, one best practice is just to not overthink it. And before we get to your next point, I love that because as an investors, we tend to get in our own way. Like we think in our brains, it's going to be really hard and it really doesn't have to be is what you're saying. That's right. Sometimes plans, in fact, I think give you almost too many options and it might be tempted to go after really narrowly focused investments or, you know, to build your own basket of stocks. Well, that's fine if you're a more sophisticated investor, but if you're a beginning investor or even an intermediate investor, keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it with lots of moving parts. And I, I, I stopped you in your tracks, but you were about to give us another best practice. <laughs> well, another thing to do is do a little bit of due diligence on the plan. So even if you're mainly a hands-off investor, check up on its quality. And really the main red flag that you're looking for is a very high cost plan. And unfortunately, we've kind of got a two-tier system in the U.S. where very large employers oftentimes have really good, inexpensive plans. Sometimes the smaller employers are the ones that are fielding high-cost investment options or there might be high administrative expenses. So do a little bit of your homework. If it turns out that you're in a super high-cost plan, and I would say a red flag would be if you see a lot of fund expense ratios that are over like 1.5%, that's a signal you've got a costly plan. In that case, contribute just enough to earn your employer matching contributions because you always want to do that regardless of how good or bad the plan is. But then after that, you may want to look to some external investment vehicle like an IRA before fully funding the 401k. You know, people's first question is, well, how do I look at that? You and I both know sometimes these plan documents are very difficult to read, but there might be this website out of Chicago that might be able to help us with that. (laughs) Well, certainly we can help you research the individual investments. One tricky thing, though, I would note is that an investment option that's showing up in a lot of 401k plans is called a collective trust or a collective investment trust. These aren't mutual funds, so you're not going to be able to research them in the same way that you can research mutual funds on Morningstar.com. So you'll have to do a little bit of homework. The plan documents should give you some expense ratio information at least. And the good news about these collective trusts is that they're often very low cost investment options. They're usually index fund options. Oh, sweet. Are there any big common mistakes that new investors should avoid, Christine? Well, I would say the biggies would fall into the category of 
getting access to your money before retirement. So mm-hmm. there are a few ways to do that. One would be to cash out altogether, which is a huge no-no in, in that by the time you pay taxes and penalties, you could say goodbye to anywhere from a third to almost a half of your assets. So don't cash out unless you have some really dire emergency. And then another thing to avoid, even though it's not quite as bad as cashing out, is taking a loan against your plan assets. The big risk there is that many plans require you to pay it pay back that loan very quickly if you lose your job or or leave the company for whatever reason. So you need to be very careful when it comes to tapping the assets prior to retirement. It's usually not worth it. Well, the tough thing I see too when people take a 401k loan is often because of cash flow and because they have to pay it back in such a short period, they cut off their uh, their new contributions and then get behind. That's right. So if you take a loan, you are required to pay interest back into the plan, and that can kind of create a snowball effect elsewhere in your total retirement plan. So generally speaking, this is something that I would not do again unless there were some extreme financial emergency. It's not not something you'd want to pull money out of or take a loan against to take a vacation, for example. That would be a huge no-no. Right. But if you want to take a loan to send your favorite podcaster on a vacation, we're okay with that. <laughs> well, you may, um, you may want to think twice about that. It's like, probably not. Oh, and you and I were such good friends before that, Christine. No, I'm <laughs> I'm joking. Don't do that, anybody. I'm just kidding. Uh, Christine Benz from Morningstar, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes and giving us the basics on the 401k. Thank you, Joe. Good to talk to you. Special thanks to Magnify Money for supporting Stacky Benjamins. You know, as we talk about doing things different, I want to talk about Magnify Money's sister site, Student Loan Hero. If you go to studentloanhero.com, you'll find that some of those debts we talked about earlier on, OG, for millennials, student loan debt, lots of student loan debt. If you're ready to pay off your student loans, Student Loan Hero is the place to go. You can get custom repayment plans today and see how you can lower your interest rate, decrease your monthly payments, and find forgiveness. They talk about all three of those things at Student Loan Hero. If you're going to refinance your loan, they talk about the best places to refinance and give you those options. If you need to lower your payments, lots of resources about doing income-based repayment the right way so you don't get caught in a trap. Speaking of a trap, loan forgiveness, lots of people chase that option, and yet they find out way too late that their loans aren't going to be forgiven because they didn't dot all the I's and cross the T's. So the place to go is Magnify Money's sister site, Student Loan Hero. Head to studentloanhero.com for more. I think a big takeaway here, OG, getting back to the first piece, is... Forge your own path. Forge your own path. Start with the end in mind and then work on what you need for that goal. I don't think, especially if you're a millennial, reading through Mr. Halbert's uh, prose here, you can't just use rules of thumb. Using rules of thumb, I think, are more dangerous than ever. Well, if you don't know who Andy Andrews is, we have a treat for you today. He wrote a best-selling book called The Traveler's Gift. 
That book, by the way, has been gifted so often in our family. It's incredible. He also wrote The Noticer. He also wrote How Do You Kill 11 Million People? He is uh, many times over New York Times bestselling author. He's spoken at the request of four different U.S. presidents. He's worked extensively with the Department of Defense. He regularly talks to crowds at Fortune 500 companies around the world. Now he's written a brand new book called The Bottom of the Pool, Thinking Beyond Your Boundaries to Achieve Extraordinary Results. If there's anything we want to do here, kicking off our fall season on Stacking Benjamins is show you how to get extraordinary results. And that's why we're bringing you today, Andy Andrews. And coming down the stairs to the basement, a guy who I accidentally was talking. I'll be right back. I was, I was talking Auburn football with this guy, and I think I made my guest angry immediately. Andy Andrews kicking off this eight weeks with us. How are you, man? I'm good. Hey, hang on, hang on. Dorothy, I will be right. I'll be right back. Yes. Thank you. Your mother is awesome. She's, she's far better than me. Well, I agree. I can only agree. <laughs> but yeah, man, I'm excited to be here. But it's Alabama football. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Bama. Over. Please don't cuss. But you, you know, just like cuss right as we start, Joe. But you went to Auburn. I did because I am from Alabama and Auburn has a veterinary school. And so when you're a kid, you don't know what you're going to do. I liked animals. It's the only other thing I could think of. And so I, I went to Auburn because they had a vet school. I actually wanted to be a veterinarian and a taxidermist so I could say either way you get the dog back. But... Once I ran into organic chemistry, I thought, I'm not going to do this. That's so funny you say that because my daughter wanted to be a doctor until she got to organic chemistry. I think organic chemistry is the speed bump of medicine. Yeah. For me, it was the wall. It was the wall. And, but you know what? That wasn't what I was supposed to do anyway. And, uh, you know, I was an Alabama fan anyway. What was I doing going to a college that has three coloring books in their library you know, so <laughs> I, can't, I can't figure that out. I have no idea. That'd be like me, a Michigan State guy ending up at University of Michigan or I went to the Citadel. Me ended up at VMI, you know, if right, I was at right. the same thing. Yeah. So Nick Saban this year, you guys going undefeated? Yes, of course. Of and course. I think D'Antonio can uh, take you guys uh, quite the way. Man. I, maybe maybe we'll be in that final four together. I hope so. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the football podcast with Andy Andrews. This is Joe Salcino. <laughs> I want to ask you, though, about you because you brought up something interesting. For people who don't know you, they haven't watched you speak, they didn't read uh, The Traveler's Gift or any of your work, I'm going to go right to the, the official history of Andy Andrews, Wikipedia. So feel free to fact check me. Uh-oh. <laughs> your father was a minister of music. Your mother played piano, organ, and directed the children's choir programs. How do you not have... A background in music. How are you not a music guy? Who says I don't have a background in music? Well, maybe you do. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I, you know, it's one of those things, you know, when you grow up as a kid of those kind of people, all the people you grow up with now as a professional doing whatever you do, people go, so do you still sing? Do you still do you sing when you're on stage? You sing? And I'm like, look, I learned a long time ago, there is a great wide gap in what you can do to entertain your friends and family at Thanksgiving and what you can do to entertain people who care nothing about you. And so while I can sing, I don't sing. 
How did you get into helping all these companies, helping the Department of Defense? Where did that begin? Well, I always wanted to be a speaker. I always wanted to be on stage. I just didn't have anything to say. And that'll kill a speaking career. The only way I knew how to be on stage at first was comedy. And so years ago, this was way before all the comedy clubs were all over the place. I did tons of colleges. I toured with Joan Rivers for two years, with Kenny Rogers for five, uh, with Garth Brooks. I was with Shaka Khan. I was, wow. You know, on tour with Cher, uh, Randy Travis. I did, I did a lot of stuff, you know. And it was years later that Kenny Rogers, one time on the bus, it, we were just talking about some stuff things we had learned. You know, I lived under a pier on a beach for a while, and he had grown up in a garage in Houston with 150 brothers and sisters or whatever it was. And he said, you know, you should talk about some of this stuff on the stage. I was just telling him about some of the seven decisions from the Traveler's Kids. And and I said, well, you know, it's not funny. And he said, yeah, I know, but it's interesting. And you're, you're a talker, so just transition. I said, you want me to be funny and then be serious? He said, yeah, and be funny again. So come on. And then I asked the big question. I said, you want me to do it in your show? And he said, yeah, I think so. And so that really kind of transitioned that because people started coming up to me after the shows and going, hey, that was great. We really like that serious part, which is not what a comedian usually wants to hear. But the things that I do now for companies and the things that I put in my books and things I do for, for families and organizations are the same thing I used to do as a comic where, you know, I I call myself a professional noticer. I just notice things that people miss. And as a comic, you notice things people miss to amuse them. But as, as a noticer for corporations or for families, I notice things people miss that will make their lives better. And so what I'm, What I really am passionate about is noticing little things that are hugely valuable to other people. That's what I do. Well, I like how I like your analogy in the book about because I've done this with Cheryl and with mom a hundred times where I'm looking for the pepper. And you say this, use this exact analogy of the book. I'm looking for the pepper. She sends me to, to find the pepper. She says, it's right in front of you. It's right on top of the stove on the shelf above the stove. And I look and I don't see it. And I said, it's it, not here. it isn't here. And she says, no, it is there. It's right there. I'm like, nope. And then she pushes me out of the way and grabs it. And it was right flipping in front of me. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, helping people to, to become more or to achieve more or to get greater results is a lot more than just, I, 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 I don't like the motivate word. If you ever go on my website, one of the things you will never find is that Andy is motivational or that he motivates. I don't I do not do that because I feel like that has a statute of limitations and I want something that lasts. And so if you can help somebody in reality achieve more, that has to, it has to be proof. It has to be something that lasts beyond your moment with them, something that they begin to internalize and believe. And so to help people understand that what you truly believe not what you say you believe, not what you said your goals were so your supervisor wouldn't come unglued, but what you truly believe controls your behavior, controls your performance. And so it's an odd thing to see, but when we truly believe I'm standing right here and I'm telling you the pepper is not here, 
you know, you truly believe that and your brain is telling your eyes it's not here. And you get to the bottom of the pool about thinking about this. You realize I have made myself into a person that my eyes cannot see what's right in front of me because I truly believe it's not there and my eyes are not even seeing it. These are the kind of things I want to point out so that you can use that not just in the pepper thing, but in so many areas of your life. Well, in so many powerful areas of your life, because we have so many limiting beliefs. I want to ask about you. You are known for a management technique, for a way of talking that I think a lot of leaders have gotten this from you, Andy, which is you answer questions with questions. And I don't want you to ask me a question back. I actually want you to hopefully answer this question. Where did that come from? And when you do that, what happens? I honestly believe that the quality of your answers can only be determined by the quality of your questions. And if you want to be a person who continues to grow, and I understand everybody says they want to grow because they know that's the right answer. Okay. But in reality, a lot of people stop growing, stop shifting somewhere, you know, in their early adulthood, if not in their late teens, because they decide what they are and who they are. And they decide what they cannot do. They know what they can't do and they know what they can do. And so to question, and when I'm saying the quality of your answers can only be determined by the quality of your questions, I'm not just talking about if I want to help you, I want to ask good questions. I'm talking about me. If I'm talking to myself and my questions are bad questions, well, even if you ask yourself bad questions, your subconscious goes to work answering those questions. And if all I ask myself is, and you know, I'm not going to say it out loud because I'm not going to, I don't want to offend anybody else. I don't want anybody to know what I think about myself. But, you know, and everybody knows I've gone to Weight Watchers several times. But but if, if I'm saying to myself, you know, why are you so fat? What is wrong with you? Why are you so fat? Well, my subconscious goes to work answering those questions. And my subconscious says, dude, your mother was fat. You're always going to be fat. You have no discipline. You can't stay out of the refrigerator in the middle of the night. You're fat and you're kidding yourself and lying to everybody else to tell them you're on another diet. And so you would do much better just to stop this stupid charade. You see what I'm doing to myself? Yeah. But, and I am confirming what I might suspect. Now, so the quality of the answer has been determined by the quality of the question. I asked a bad question. Man, I'm getting bad answers. But you can take that same thing and you can craft your own question to yourself. Um, How can I regain the shape I had when I was in college and have fun doing it and not be starving all the time? Okay, well, now I'll send my subconscious to work on that. How, how do I do that and not be starving all the time? How do I do that and have fun doing it? And, and I might add to it and make it a part of my life rather than a 90-day period. And then as we're talking to each other, Joe, and if I, if I have something that I feel like I need to help you with or I want to help your business grow or I want, you know, if you and I are best friends and – man, I know I need to talk to you about something that's uncomfortable. 
And I don't want to just come out and say, you know, hey, Joe, uh, dude, you, you don't need to, you know, you might think about using deodorant. I know that's stupid, but that's just right. You, you know, you don't want to say something that's going to piss off your wife or your husband or your best friend. And so what you want to do is the quality of your answers. See, the answer I want to get is that Joe has a grasp on this and knows where he's going and he is going to to start using deodorant every day, you know. <laughs> so that's so a reach. My, that's a far it, reach, right? It's a, it's a reach. That's what your mother said. <laughs> but anyway, the 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 idea is that I would go in having a conversation with you just about your work and you know how are things going and how are things going with new clients and how do you you know how what do, what do you see when you see new clients and do you have it uh, when you sit down with clients what do you see in their eyes? A guy told me one time. He said, "Man." You ought to ask yourself every day, what is it about me that other people would change if they could? And I asked myself that for years in many different ways. And sometimes I would get an answer and I think, well, I don't want to change that. But then I'd realize, well, that wasn't the question. It was, what would other people change if I could? And so I've really worked on myself and I have come to a point. I've started gathering. And let me ask you this just real quick. I need you as my best friend. I'm not just giving you permission to tell me when you spot something that might be detrimental to my work or my family, I'm not giving you permission. I'm begging you. My family is the most important thing to me. I've got to have my work to take care of my family. I'm begging you. Don't let me languish out here and don't tell me if I've got something stuck in my teeth, dude. Okay. So, and I, I'm assuming, I mean, if I ever spot anything, I mean, you know how much I love you. Do you want me to tell you? Absolutely. Well, See, I'm, I'm only, but I'm only asking questions and the quality yes. of my answers are going to be determined by the quality of my questions. I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm just thinking about how, you know, I watch, I watch sometimes these cooking shows and I watch Gordon Ramsay. And just, I think about having a little bit of a Gordon Ramsay in, in my life as you're talking about that, like how important it is to have that person who's asking, do you really want the kitchen to look like this? Do you really want the, you know, just, just having this person, but I want to ask you a different question, which is about this idea of the bottom of the pool, because okay. I'm a kid that spent a lot of time in swimming pools in the summer. My kids both on the swim team, by the way, you talk about in the book about how, if you don't have green hair by the end of the summer, <laughs> you're, you're clearly doing it wrong. You weren't actually yeah. in the pool. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 give us the analogy. What's this idea of the bottom of the pool all about? Yeah, when we were kids and our parents were dropping us off at the pool, when you actually could drop your kid off and leave them there, the pool was the babysitter. You know, we were like 11 years old and our parents would drop us there. And of course, by the middle of summer, you're bored playing Marco Polo and Atomic Water Ball and, and Blue Rover, which is just like Red Rover, except you play it in the water. And, and so we're coming up with our own games. And one of the games we came up with was called Dolphin. And, you know, Flipper was a big deal. Then Flipper, the television. Show. And I know some of your listeners, Joe, are probably going, Flipper, what's – and you guys know Lassie, okay? So think Lassie in a wetsuit. Yeah. It's just a dolphin. Yeah. Know? A dolphin, by the way, Flipper, not for our Money Geek fans, Flipper like some real estate show. Where exactly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a dolphin. This is like, hey, Lassie, the kid is over by the barn. Go help him. And it's like, hey, Flipper, the kid is stuck by the coral reef. Go help him. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. Okay. So, but Flipper on the show would come up out of the water and like stand on his tail and right. And, and so that was our game. We would go, you know, circle up in the deep end and one by one, go to the middle of the, of the circle. And one by one, you would 
try to push yourself up using your feet and your hands and how high out of the water can you get? And so that was our game. And there's this one kid, Aaron Perry, that won every time. He was a year older than us. He was bigger than we were. He had big, big hands and feet. He like catch that water, you know, it's like push. And, so and, annoying. Yeah, yeah. He won all the time. And we tried, you know, we looked, we just watched what he, what is the big man doing? What How's he just put his thumb by his hand? You know, is he kicking with his feet fluttering or one big, but we could never beat him until one day my best friend destroyed him. Kevin Perkins goes in the middle of the circle. Aaron has already gone. So we all know we've lost and people are losing attention. And and Kevin's like, are you ready? He says, yes, just go, just go. He goes down instead of up. And we're, and we're treading water and we're trying to look. Here's what is he doing? And we're looking down and it, he went all the way to the bottom and then squats down. And we're trying to figure out. And before we can see what's going on, he pushes off the bottom of that pool and comes rocketing out of the top of the water way higher than Aaron had ever gone. We're like, oh, my gosh, we have a new Dolphin King. And, I mean, it was incredible. And, of course, Aaron and his little toadies are immediately going, oh, you cheated. You cheated. And Kevin's like, yeah, really? Where's the rule that says you can't go down before you go up? And, you know, everybody said, well, that's not a rule. That's not a rule. It's okay. So we all get to play that way. Yeah, okay. And and soon Aaron was winning again. But the level of everybody's play, it, it's, it's amazing because we still remember Kevin as he's the legend, right? And, and I've thought about this for years, Joe, because the deal to me was if you had come to us as little kids back then and you, you had said, guys – I know you're trying to beat Aaron. Are you guys doing the best you can? We would have said, yes, we are. Yes, we're doing the best we can. And we were. But the problem was that we didn't understand that there was a different result out there that nobody even knew was available. While we were doing the best we could do, we were not doing the best that could be done. We were playing by the rules. We were doing the industry standards. Everybody knew how to do it. We did it how it was done. If you didn't know how to do it, get in. We'll show you how it's done. You can, And everybody knew how it's done. There was a best practices manual practically. And it was obvious how you do it. At least it was obvious until one kid went down instead of up and then what had been so obvious was no longer even true. But I love how you take that and apply this to obviously the bigger world. And you go into Bob Beeman as a really extreme example. <laughs> I mean, this guy on the long jump goes from a good, I mean, Olympian to creating this uh, long jump record that can't be beat. I mean, there's my limiting belief right there. Can't be beaten, but right. <laughs> but this, this whole, whole different thing. And you say it's mostly getting back to the quality of the questions. It's mostly Andy, because of the quality of the questions that Beeman and his athletes around him started asking themselves, which is different than they did afterwards. Yeah, it's it, and it's an amazing thing when you look back the 1968 Olympics. There's even a word now for what he did, Bemanesque. It's Bemanesque, meaning achieving something that is so far beyond what anybody even thought of as a possibility. It's just it's Bemanesque, and 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 where that comes from is 
1968 Olympics. He was just a kid from Brooklyn, and he was a great long jumper, which is that one where you run at the pit and you kind of jump in the air and bicycle your feet and land. That's the long jump. And so in the history of the long jump, a hundred years before that Olympics, the long jump record had been broken 13 times by an average of an inch and a half. 13 times over a hundred years, average of an inch and a half. And it stood at about 27 feet. And so here's this kid from Boston and he's got, there are four others in that final there. Ralph Boston, who is an American who had had a world record and he had won and And then there was the British guy who had won the Olympic medal, the gold medal at the past Olympics. And the the Soviet, who was the favorite, who had just won the world championships, and he was the favorite. Well, they get three tries. Beeman had fouled on the first two tries. You know, now it it doesn't even look like he's going to be able to qualify, much less sneak in for a bronze medal. All right. Because all you got to do, you got four left. You just got to be three of the four to medal, right? And so as he's going to the line for the last jump, Ralph Boston walked up to him and said, take off early. Don't foul. You have room to spare. You know, don't don't get close to the line. He said, give him two inches on the front. You'll take two feet when you land. Your legs have never been as strong as they are right now. At this moment, your body weighs nothing. Your mind has wings, use them, fly up, fly out. And he rocked back a few times and took 19 strides down the track, jumped into the air, and he landed. And when he landed, the entire stadium in Mexico City was hushed because they didn't post a score. He was walking around. Everybody else is walking around. The judges are scrambling. And what had happened was he had jumped beyond the optics of it And so they couldn't measure it. And so they're now looking for an old-fashioned tape measure to measure. And it took almost 10 minutes of just silence in the stadium and people wandering around and these guys wandering on the track for the judges to tape off the measurement. And when they posted it, people went nuts. Uh, You know, Beeman fell on the ground. Now think about this. A hundred years, only 13 times the record has been broken and it's broken an inch and a half at a time, and it stands at 27 feet. And Beeman had jumped 29 feet, two inches. Sports Illustrated said it was the the greatest sports moment in the 20th century. ESPN said it was the number one Olympic moment of all time. But you break a record by two feet? I love, I love not only that story, but I love what you do with it later, which is the quality of questions he asked himself after that yeah. around, can because you do every, it again? Everybody, yeah, everybody kept going yeah. on him about, can he do it again? Can he do it again? Can he do it? And he was reading this too, and he's hearing all this too. Can he do it again? And he never did, even though he competed against those same people again. He competed in the same stadium under the same wind conditions, the same everything. He never did it again. And nobody ever thought anything beyond, wow, have to have that one moment. And he could never do it again. But see, here's what I want your listeners to know, Joe. What you and I know is it was a horrible question. And the question affected his ability to perform because 
everybody was asking and he was asking himself, can I do it again? Can he do it again? It's a horrible question because everybody was waiting for an answer. Well, the answer should have been immediate and obvious because the bad question is, can he do it again? The good question is, will he do it again? Because the answer to can he do it again is yes, of course he has done it. Can this body do this again? Well, yes, it's obvious this body can do this again because this body has already done it. These legs have already done it. Can he do it again? Of course. Now, will he do it again? That would have set him on a different path of training, a different path of, of, of mental preparation, because you could obviously make a, a good case that something planted in his mind two feet, you know, give him two inches on the front, take two feet when you land. I mean, was Ralph Boston serious? I, I don't know. But nobody else had ever said anything to any jumper anywhere that was remotely like you can jump two feet beyond the world record. In my mind, as I was reading that, I put myself in, in his shoes and I think I could have done it just by asking the right question. I mean, not by obviously he trained and he was ready for it, but then he has the right question. It's, it's so powerful. By the way, I did some I did some research, Andy, and same Olympics. Innovation in a different sport, Dick Fosbury and the Fosbury yep. flop in the Fosbury uh, flop. everybody else going forward over the I mean, this is exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. Everybody else, everybody else going forward over the high jump. Fosbury says, what if I went backward in this weird way and uh, does the same thing? Same thing. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. You're exactly right. It's so amazing. This is just the beginning of the book. Uh, it's called The Bottom of the Pool. Obviously, you can tell I had a lot of fun. Reading, reading this book and I feel, <laughs> feel like I could do anything, which is exactly where Andy Andrews likes us. Uh, I never say this, so consider this a one-time deal, Andy, but uh, roll tide, man. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. I will take that in the spirit which it was intended. And just to let you know, uh, you, you had mentioned the traveler's gift earlier. Yes. And so Jim Tressel texted me one day and said, uh, Mark D'Antonio is probably going to be getting in touch with you. And sure enough, he did and said, Coach Tress wanted me to tell you that our guys are working with the Traveler's Gift at Michigan State. So I just want to know, I'm doing everything I could do for you up there, Joe. <laughs> you're the man. By the way, the book <laughs> is available everywhere, right? It's everywhere. I've, I see yeah, it everywhere. Yeah. yeah, great. And we'll have a link in our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Well, thanks a ton for hanging out with us for a few minutes, Andy. I appreciate it. Buddy, thank you. Honored to be here. Hey there, money nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And welcome to my trivia. Uh, in the spirit of Andy's question uh, that the quality of the answer is determined by the quality of the question, how about this very specific, very concise question for today's trivia? Let's roll. On today's date, Back in 1995, what popular video game console retailing at 299 dineros released in North America? See that? Short? Sweet? Yeah, you're welcome. I'm going to be right back pronto. We're so happy that Acre Trader is helping us bring you this episode of Stacky Benjamin's Acre Trader is a company that I asked to sponsor the show because of the fact that I grew up in farmland 
in Southwest Michigan. And I understand from working in fields what owning this real estate is all about. And certainly, OG and I say often that you should lead with investments that you understand. So maybe you don't understand it. In that case, I don't think I would recommend purchasing AcreTrader. But if you're like me and you like investments that are boring, in my opinion, in a good way, because of the fact that historically farmland has been less volatile than either commercial or residential real estate purchases. And if you understand that you don't have to be a farmer, you just are the landlord. And so you're purchasing a piece of a field of which, by the way, there are acres and acres going away every minute in the United States as developers are eating up this land and there's less of it. And if you also don't want to be the person that makes sure that the soil stays sustainable or you don't want to be responsible for getting the rent check from the farmer, finding the farmer in the first place, all of that administrative stuff, well, then Acre Trader may be for you. So Acre Trader is an investment platform that makes it easy to own shares of farmland and earn passive income. Their goal is to give you transparency, security, and liquidity They handle all the aspects of administration, property management, from insurance and accounting to working with the farmers and improving the soil sustainability. They're in Northwest Arkansas, actually right down the road from the University of Arkansas, which is an awesome uh, agriculture program right there. And they're right around the corner, right in America's breadbasket. So you've got people that know this stuff. They know investing, maybe it's an investment for your portfolio. If you think it is, head to acretrader.com forward slash SB. For more information on how to become a farmland investor through AcreTrader, visit acretrader.com forward slash SB. That's acretrader.com forward slash SB. Welcome back, podcast listeners. And, you know, for today, video gamers, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and uh, here was today's question. I'll remind you because you probably already forgot. On today's date, back in 1995, what popular video game console retailing at 299 bucks released in North America? You know, it's it's funny. I took a look around during the break, and here in the basement, the guys have like Xbox controllers and Xbox games all over the shag carpeting. So, what was your guess? Look, no matter how much. Halo the guys have played, the answer isn't Xbox. No, the correct answer is the original Sony PlayStation, which was a hit immediately with over 100,000 pre-orders right out of the gate. To make sure the factory could keep up, the system had a gradual release schedule of 11 months all around the, the planet. And here, Joe's mom said video games were a total waste of time. She should try telling that to the boys over at Sony, where they've been raking in huge bucks because of this thing. See ya! PlayStation. I thought it was Xbox also. A 95 would have been too soon. But I didn't did, really you, uh, did you have a PlayStation before an Xbox? I did. I was right down PlayStation Street for a long time, and then it, t- it took me a long time to like adopt the Xbox model. The bad news is, in 1995, my kids are a little older just than born. yours. Yeah, my kids were just born, and uh, so kids are a little older than mine. I missed the yeah. entire the entire PlayStation thing. I did 
have a few computer games that I would play. I remember if I had diaper duty late at night or uh, did the early morning shift and my son or daughter would doze off, I would go hang out with a video game from time to time on my computer, but that was it. Hmm. Yeah. Had a Super Nintendo later on though. Oh yeah. That yeah. that was mine. Do you know they have those now where you can get, it's like a just a little box has every Super Nintendo game ever? So much more frugal. <laughs> By the way, just get it all done in one in one thing. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's more frugal. It's just older technology. It's, it's, it's packed just into one thing. It, it's just different. Uh, we started off with our kids always buying the older technology. That's why we went and bought a... I take that back. We didn't buy a Super Nintendo. We just bought a Nintendo. Like maybe around 2000, 2001, bought a Nintendo to mess around with with the kids. I made my kids play Mario Brothers, and they asked where the save was. Mike didn't know. <laughs> No. Sorry. Old school, my friend. You made it to level five? Sorry. Start over. Did they start sweating? Yeah. It's so funny. Hey, let's start with Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Blasting my kids in Tech Mobile. In your face. This you, isn't even a real game, Dad. You want to Yes, it is. It? And Bo Jackson is amazing. Check this out. Spin. I was playing Tecmo Bowl. They they redid it. They had to redo everybody's name, but I was playing Tecmo Bowl on my Xbox last oh. night. Oh, cool. I started a new season where I'm the Detroit. They call them the Detroit uh, Hurricanes or something stupid. Hmm. But anyway, Barry Sanders is in the game. He just got hurt, so I'm, I'm kind of in trouble. But yes, uh, it would be video games, but it's your loved ones in your time. But your loved ones in your time laughing over a video game as you're kicking your kid's butt. I think that's the way to go. That's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple so you can spend more time with your loved ones. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. You'll make the process super easy. You'll get it done. You'll feel better about yourself. I think that's the right question. Andy Andrews talked about the right question to ask. That's the right question. How do I take things like life insurance OG and hit the easy button? The easy button. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Boy, by the way, before we get to the Haven Lifeline, thanks to Andy Andrews for coming down. Boy, did I screw up with uh, the Auburn thing. I don't think this is your fault, though. So how do you go to a university and then not want to support it? Who knew? Who knew? Hmm. But that's the lure of uh, Bama football when you live in Alabama. Roll damn tide. Holy cow. He was he 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 was not, not he's appalled. You weren't sitting across from him. So I've got one of the greatest speakers in the United States sitting across from me, one of the most trusted people sitting across from me, and I call him a fan of the university that is the enemy of that one. Oops, who knew? Hey, uh today let's throw out the Haven Lifeline. Let's get back to the Haven Lifeline. Let's throw that out to Bill. Hey, Doug, Bill here. I know you're the guy in the jump seat, so maybe you can explain this question to Joe and OG. My wife and I are 63, looking to retire in a year. The glide path seems to look okay, and our portfolio can take some turbulence. I'm a bit concerned over our expense ratio on some of our investments, 0.0024 versus (laughs) 0.0023. But I figure one less dinner to Sizzler, and we are ready to have our wheels up. 
I was thinking maybe I can learn something today and get a free t-shirt at the same time. I have a life insurance policy with some cash value. I was thinking of stopping it and putting the cash into some type of long-term care policy or some other kind of vehicle. Any comments, suggestions on this idea? And what are some good resources on this subject? Oh, and say hello to mom for me. And did I mention I need a (laughs) t-shirt? Thanks for the question, Bill. Bill brought it, starting off the eight weeks on the right track. We've had some great Haven Lifeline calls lately. By the way, OG, we are kicking off something here in September with the Haven Lifeline. Get this, in the basement, before we answer Bill's question, we're taking all three questions. Mom said we need to up the game. And lately the game's been good, but I think we need to up the game even more. Mom has cookies on the line. So each week in the basement, we're going to take the Monday, Wednesday, and Friday calls. We're going to put a poll up in the basement. And if you win the poll, you not only get the t-shirt, everybody gets a t-shirt. You also get maybe a little extra something, something for mom. And then we'll take the winners of the quarter and those people get something bigger. And at the end of the year, you and I in January, first couple of weeks of January, we will do the call of the year. And that person's going to get a monster prize. Haven't decided what it is, but I'll tell you this. It's going to be a monster prize. At least two t-shirts. At least two. At least a t-shirt and cookies. Uh, Yeah. No, it's going to be bigger than that. Like I'm thinking iPad-ish. I don't know know that we've we've approved this in the budget. I think we need to talk to the accountant first. We need more. uh, Let's stop writing checks your ass can't cash. Well, this is why I went to a state where there's returnables. So we'll just collect the returnables here in the basement. And uh, anyway, that goes to the winner. But Bill's question, he's got this cash value life insurance policy thinking about uh, looking at long-term care. Right. When it comes to insurance in general, the idea is let's make sure that we've got enough coverage in place to protect those who are still around if you get hit by a bus. And once you get closer and closer to financial independence, the need for that gets lower and lower. Then later on throughout retirement, it goes up again as you encounter different estate planning issues, depending on your net worth and that sort of thing. The good news is that where estate limits are, state tax limits are these days is so high that not many people are going to have to have a life insurance policy for purposes of estate planning. So the first threshold issue on this for Bill is whether or not we need the life insurance. Let's assume that he's decided that, no, I don't need to have life insurance anymore. We are financially independent. If anything happens, all's okay. So now we have to decide what we want to do with the existing policy. A couple of different choices. Number one, you can just cancel it. Call him up and say, I want my cash. Send me a check. You'll get some resistance from the salespeople. Finally, you'll fill out some paperwork. Boom, you'll get a check in the mail for whatever the net surrender cash value is. If you've had it a long time, that might be the cash value that you see on your statement. If you've had it a relatively short period of time, let's say under 10 years, it might be the cash value amount that you see less a surrender charge of some kind. Kind of recoup the insurance company's costs and commissions. And then you're free to do with it as you please. You can invest it, you can spend it, you can do whatever you want. The second option that you could do is you could call them and say, I don't want to make payments anymore. How much insurance could I have for the rest of my life based on the cash value that's here so that I never have to make another premium payment? And let's say that you have 
$30,000 in cash value and your death benefits 100,000, they may calculate this out and say, we can give you $62,000 of life insurance and you never have to pay another premium again. So that's kind of on autopilot then. That might be an option too that works where you say, I don't ever want to touch this again, but at least it provides some return. It has some residual value on the back end, if that's important. And then you were talking about specifically using it to pay for long-term care. Long-term care is a very tight subject right now because there's only a few carriers out there that are are uh, still selling it because it's very expensive. It's hard to price and uh, companies for a long time priced it incorrectly. So you'll find it's very, very, very expensive. But that also ought to tell you something about its need. Insurance is one of these things that's really just priced on probability and magnitude. How likely is it to happen and what's the financial impact if it does? And so you say, you look at your car insurance and you say, well, the likelihood of me getting in a wreck is this and the, and the payout is that. And then here's the premium, you know, 1200 bucks a year. Your house insurance might be the same premium, even though the exposure on your house is probably 10 times that of your car or 30 times that of your car. But the premium on your house insurance is not 30 times more than it is for your car insurance. Well, that's because the probability of a big financial impact to your home is relatively small. So you look at long-term care insurance and say, why does it cost so much? Well, the chance of using it's really high. And the financial impact of using it is really high. You put those two things together, you get high premium. That being said, you may find a carrier that that has a product and the benefits that work out based on the cash flow and the policy premium, I'm sorry, the policy cash value that you have matches up. As of late, there's also companies that are doing what's called linked benefits. It's a life insurance policy that has cash value, but it's also long-term care. So I kind of have a death benefit in the background. But if I don't, if, if I need long-term care along the way, they'll let me use some of that death benefit in advance to pay for my long-term care coverage. And then, of course, that affects my the death benefit on the back end. So there's a couple of different ways to solve that. I think you're probably right at the age. I start thinking about it around age 60, kind of 55 to 60 for clients. So at 63, you're right at the age to start considering this and start mapping out from a financial planning standpoint what is the impact financially of needing assisted care later on? You know, financially, all that sort of stuff. You may find that you're insured, uh, self-insured to that, and you don't need to transfer any of that risk. So well, it's a really good question. And starting from the life insurance component, first deciding whether or not you need insurance. And then secondly, okay, now, now what do we want to do with the cash? Oh, I'll add one more piece. Sorry. If the, for whatever reason, it's very unlikely, but if the cash value in your policy is higher than your premium that you've paid into it, that's a taxable gain. So you'll get a little bit of a tax bill on that, but uh, the likelihood of that is pretty remote. Bill also asked about uh, resources. My frustration with finding good resources, Bill, on this topic is that there's so many biases that people go in with and also people using some incomplete data as an example of that. When you obviously look at people who sell long-term care, they're going to want to solve everything with the long-term care policy. On the other side, people that are generally biased against it are going to also use incomplete arguments. And mostly I find, oh, gee, because I feel like they don't understand completely the magnitude of the of the <laughs> argument. Um, in fact, I'm on a blog post right now, and I'm not going to rip the author personally here. But it's somebody but privately, who, you will. 
but as somebody who I think of, yeah, as somebody who I think of as a thinker who has a piece on long-term care and puts a lot of stank on the fact that insurance agents are overly exuberant about selling long-term care. And I go, yes, that is correct. And by the way, the insurance agents also use some numbers that weren't correct with him. Yes, I can also see that happening. However, he consistently, consistently makes comparisons between older generations and his generation and saying, well, based on what happened with my parents, and this is a guy who's in his late 60s now, based on what happened with my parents, I don't think it's going to happen to me, which is the fallacy in his thinking. We just talked about millennials and longevity. This is not the same problem your parents have. And by the way, your kids are going to have a worse problem than you have. And the reason this crap is so expensive isn't because insurance companies are trying to rip you off. It's because the chance of a claim is through the roof. So when it's one in two, well, well, and he goes through some of these numbers. And by the way, I will read directly from the piece. He says, according to my analysis, the leverage is on the order of two to three X, meaning two to three Xing your money. He goes, not the more extravagant ratio sometimes claimed by insurance agents. I want to get rid of the stank on the, on the second half of that sentence, extravagant ratios. If I have a guaranteed two X on my dollars, that's two flipping X. Like get rid of all the, well, the insurance agent said it's 10 X or 20 X or 30 X. Oh, he's talking about like premium to potential benefit. Premium to potential benefit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is very expensive. I mean, on the in, in the magnitude of I've seen kind of normal quotes for four to five thousand a year for premiums. I don't know if the article that you're reading suggests that he was quoted, but but it doesn't shock me to see, you know, four or five thousand dollars a year for premiums uh, for this stuff. Um, Which isn't a joke. No, that's some serious cash. Serious that's the, cash. That's, that's that's the point. But if you're 60 and you pay it for 40 years, you've paid $200,000 worth of premiums, right? Assuming they don't increase it, which they probably will. You know what I mean? So um, so you pay $200,000 of premiums, but the benefit for $5,000 a year premium is probably in the tune of $6,000 a month plus inflation. So if you use a little bit of it, even if you use, you know, three years, you're positive. But anyway, this is, this is uniquely personal. I think when it comes to individuals, the other thing that I like from a strategy standpoint, let's, let's just, we might as well get a few pieces of hate mail. Why don't you use the cash value, buy a fixed annuity, annuitize it, use the annuity payments to pay for the long-term care premiums. And then you never think about it again. Yeah. So the fixed annuity is going to be a terrible return. The immediate annuity is going to be priced based on your personal life expectancy. But if you can match that up, if you can say, well, I've got enough cash that I've got whatever it is, $100,000 and the insurance company is going to pay me four grand a year for the rest of my life. And my long-term care premium is four grand a year. Boom. Problem solved. You know, now they may increase the premium, right? They make the insurance company may call down the line and say, Hey, it was four, but now it's five such as life. 
that was going to happen anyway. That doesn't affect this, you know, and so now you're out of pocket a thousand bucks a year instead of being out of pocket five. So um, even more wishful thinking is if you can buy, you know, we had Sean Britt on from uh, Industry Insider from uh, Nationwide mm -hmm. on, and she was talking about the move that you were talking about earlier on, which is these hybrid life insurance policies that can replace yeah. the money. I mean, if you can afford to do that, now you've replaced it, the money in your estate. You've, you've replaced money in your state. You've taken money that was sitting there that you weren't using for anything else anyway. You've covered a lot of the long-term care issues that are a huge part of a problem around this longevity thing. Mission accomplished. Like, yeah. like we talk about effective use of insurance in a financial planning scenario. Yeah, it's that kind of stuff. That's there where annuities fit. That's where permanent life insurance fits, that sort of thing. And it doesn't fit for the, you know, 26 year old single person high income as an extra savings vehicle for retirement. Yeah. Very, uh, very frustrating, Bill. It is a frustrating topic. It is good uh, luck that, yeah, the answers are frustrating. I know, uh, my favorite book, by the way, about insurance, I think the most even handed book is Rick Edelman's the truth about money. Cause then you start to, you start to look at this very, I, I look at insurance way more objectively. I found I buy less insurance since I've read, Rick Edelman's book. So the truth about money, great place to uh, great place to begin on this. All right. That's going to do it for today. Thanks to Bill for calling in. Thanks to, well, you know what? Doug's going to, Doug's going to uh, take away his thunder. I know he's going to say thanks to everybody, but I still got to say thanks to Andy Andrews personally. Again, I can't thank that guy enough for roll tide kicking off. All right. Weeks. You'll never hear me say that again, but thanks to everybody who's, hanging out with us again for the next eight weeks. we got some incredible shows coming up for you. I can't wait for you to hear them. Also, lastly, doors are open. I know that you might've spent too much money this summer. Time to get the financial plan together. OG and his team are taking on new clients. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG for more. All right, that's going to do it. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Andy Andrews. Do you want better answers in life? Well, slow down and make sure you're asking the right questions. And speaking of asking questions, take some advice from Christine Benz. Ask some questions at work from HR so you can avoid common mistakes and get your 401k rolling. But the big takeaway, don't tell Joe's mom you're going to make money by getting into the video game console business. According to her, megabucks apparently are in the window washing industry. Uh, pretty sure that might be fake news. Special thanks to Andy Andrews for making a stop by the basement today. You can find Andy's book, The Bottom of the Pool, wherever books are sold or through our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor.
The people responsible for this show have been sacked. If you're new to the show, this part of the show is called the after show. Uh, we rarely talk finance here. We did a few times over the summer sessions, but um, usually we talk movies, TV shows, board games, video games, flying careers, flying, hilarious stuff that happens to us, dumb stuff that we've done. Uh, but generally it's not finance. So if you're here for finance, we'll catch you again next show. But today we're going to talk about TV shows because you and I both have been watching some serious TV. So let's kick it off with yours. You watched the latest season of Designated Survivor. Last night's State of the Union was an irrefutable disaster. Is the president going to drop out of the race? Congress truly is in a sorry, sorry state. The system is broken and you people broke it. Well, I really screwed that up, didn't I? Each one of you has been with me from the beginning of this ride. So I need your opinion. If you run, and if you lose, that's your legacy. I think you're asking the wrong thing. The question should be, why am I running in the first place? Our president is not embracing all of us as American citizens. And I don't feel like anybody represents me. You're concerned about making the wrong decisions. Any leader worth a damn would be. It makes sense to be angry. Angry like all of you are. Hell, I am with you. Keep showing the voters who you really are, and the rest will take care of itself. Think about whether you'd like to join the ticket as Kirkman's vice president. Why would you keep this to yourself? What the hell were you thinking? Lots of yelling going on, angry people. That doesn't sound like politics in America. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Well, this show started on Fox TV, regular TV. I think they only did the first two seasons there and picked it up on Netflix for season three. This is where I saw the most recent season. At least that's my assessment. Somebody may say, oh, no, they did this on Fox for season three or whatever. But based on the amount of swearing and the um, <laughs> and the other stuff that goes on, it seems to me that it definitely was, uh, was a Netflix uh, original, so to speak. Kind of follows the same path. Basically, where this story started was he is the unappreciated department of uh, agriculture, whatever he was, uh, secretary that during the State of the Union address is the designated survivor, right? So when the everybody's gathered in Congress, they have one cabinet member who is not. And there's a big attack on the Capitol building and many people die. So now he's president. So that was the first two seasons. And now this third season, he's nearing the end of his abbreviated term trying to decide whether or not he wants to run again and um, kind of addresses some of the stuff going on in the country right now as it relates to some contemporary issues An interesting, you know, obviously Hollywood spin on those things. I found it interesting that as I was watching it, it was almost like a direct reflection of like what was on the news. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh, you just pulled that right out of that line. So yeah. got it. 
you know, so that, so there's a, you know, there's a little of that, you know, so you gotta just kind of recognize that there's a little Hollywood in there. I found that with um, other shows like uh, Madam Secretary. Yeah. They just kind of grab something just to write a story about it. I particularly have liked Kiefer Sutherland for a really long time, especially when he did the 24 series. Sure. Uh, way back when. So that was uh, probably, probably one of my favorite things of all time. So when he's in this role, it's kind of a natural transition for me from that kind of 24 Kiefer to President Kiefer Sutherland. So you um, liked it. It was worth the ride. I liked it. Yeah. I mean, there's depending on which way you lean politics wise, there's going to be days where you go, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this. And there's going to be days like, hell yes, wish we had a president like this, you know, <laughs> type days. But otherwise, the story's good. I'll be interested to see if they pick it up for season four. They kind of left some interesting cliffhangers there and, you know, that sort of thing. So it's, it's worth watching. I, I really like that trailer. I, I have to say, I've never had any interest in this series. And then I watched that trailer and I went, oh, I, it's, I think I totally get into this. It's definitely chunk. I mean, you can see why it only lasts probably two seasons on network TV because it's trying to be West Wing, but it's not good at writing by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. It appeals to a certain, you know, sub, but that, now they take the gloves off when they go to Netflix, right? There's a bigger cast. It looks really season. spicy. Yeah. Yeah. And then they can add a little bit of, yeah, that's add, cool. Add a little flavor. I saw some things while I was pulling up the trailer about a season four. So, okay. All yeah. Right. Cheryl and I are working our way through a couple series. This one, they just canceled. Why do we always, dis- we always discover shows <laughs> when they get canceled. Yeah. Like everybody loves Raymond. I had no interest in that show until it was going off the air. And then I was watching, you know, the reruns and just hilarious. Right. So we're watching season three of uh, the show called Shit's Creek. And for those people that don't know anything about that, I didn't know anything about it because that name, I don't know. When I heard that name, OG, I thought, ah, no, no, just not for me. And then I found out that it was Eugene Levy and Catherine mm-hmm. O'Hara and then I went, where have I been? And then you throw in Chris Elliott. And now the new characters who are uh, the kids of this family, the Rose family, and some of the townspeople. And this is just fantastic. It, every episode about 21, 22 minutes long. Uh, so not a big investment in time. You get a great story about a family that was once wealthy that as a joke, the father... Eugene Levy gifted to his son, Daniel, who is really Daniel Levy really is his son gifted to his son, a town as a joke called Schitt's Creek because he thought it was funny. Well, it turns out after their business manager ran off with all their cash that they had no place to live. So now they have to live in this beat up hotel in the town that they own and they're trying to sell the town and figure out how to get back on their feet. But while it happens, you've got this natural comedy between regular people in America and people who have no idea where regular even exists and uh, just, just absolutely hilarious. And season three, I don't know what happened. The writing was very good on season one and two, but I feel like on season three, they kind of hit their stride. I don't know if they got a new writer on the team or if they just tighten things, but the first couple episodes I've seen of the third season, my favorite, which generally isn't what you'd say. And I'll follow that up with one other quick one. We're also getting close to the end of season three of stranger things. Took a while to wind up. Like I heard some people say, well, I gave it a couple episodes and I really didn't like it. 
but most people are saying season three is phenomenal. We're nearing the end of season three and it is phenomenal. It's more like a movie that they've taken over a lot of different parts. And so I don't know. I get done with an episode and I want to watch the next one. I can't wait to see how this ends, but season three of stranger things is uh, also big thumb up. Maybe I'll watch it. I doubt you will. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.